0: Chunk of it is prophetic. It it is one of those prophecy books, and so easily could have been a history one. But where we're going to focus primarily within the book of Daniel is on those history books. Okay, and uh, let me give you a little bit of a of, of a of a background. And this is what's happening currently in Israel. Uh, the history is that that, um, that when Daniel is being written, that there's four thousand years of history in the Bible up into the New Testament, right from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and the last four hundred years. Of that time period, God goes silent. He's not talking. He's not revealing any more of himself. None of the prophets are speaking. He is completely silent, and there's, there's, there's nothing, nothing. And Daniel fall, falls in the chronological order just before those 400 years of silence, okay? And the nation of Israel, since the beginning of their time with God, had a covenant with God that if they would obey him, if they would follow his laws, if they would serve him or only him, then he would be their God, they would be their people, and he would bless them, and they would land live in the land of promise. But if they were to ever break that covenant, if they were to bring in foreign gods, if they were to worship other gods, then then he would send somebody to them that would take them over, that would destroy their city, that would remove them from that land. And that's exactly what happens. And so throughout all the history books and the prophetic books, we see God calling them back to himself. He gives them warning. After warning reminding them that they're about their covenant and what he promised would happen if they didn't honor it And so unfortunately the people didn't change their hearts or they did for a time They repented for a season or maybe a generation and they continued To live evil lives in the sight of god and so judgment was sent down on israel and of course judgment came By way of nebuchadnezzar nebuchadnezzar was from babylon, which would be a modern day iraq for us And they came down and they took over israel and what they did was they destroyed it And then they took the people and they carried them off to Babylon, and they took the people off to Babylon to become servants of them, and, uh, and so the Jews were now hanging out there, right, and they were to be slaves and serve their captors, so this is where the book of Daniel picks up, the first chapter, the first verse, this is what's happening to him, so imagine if that happened to you, your entire world just gets flipped, turned upside down, right, and so Daniel, that's what's just happened to him, he finds himself in a foreign culture that pushes against the values that he was raised in. And we study this because I think that we all face the same kind of things that Daniel faced in our time. The same pressures. So today we're going to be in Daniel 1. And if you need a Bible today, we would love to bless you with a Bible. If you don't own one, we'd love to give you one to read. If you just raise your hand, we will put one in your hand. But we will be in Daniel 1. And verses will also be up on the screen. starts off this way. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So just FYI, just so that you know, this would have been an incredible insult, this last part here, where they took the the instruments of worship from the temple, from the, the Jewish temple, and put it in his own temple where there was a foreign god there. And to use it there would have been an incredible insult to the Jews. Psychologically, this would have just really messed with them, right? Because here your God didn't take care of you, and we're going to take everything and put it in a place where we worship a foreign God or the lowercase g God, right? verse continues on. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Essentially, they were looking for the best representatives of the population. Why? Why? What's the same reason why on TV they only put beautiful people on TV? You know what I'm saying? We want to be them. We want to be like them. They take somebody from our own and they put us there. And in this social circumstances, it was wise to do that because the Babylonians have just ripped everything from you. They had just taken you as the Jewish people into their own land and made you a servant. And what they did was they selected from among them the best looking of them and said, hey, we're going to put you in the palace. We're going to educate you on our ways. And we're going to use you to help communicate to the people that our ways are better. We're going to use you to to display to them that, hey, their life isn't so bad. And, hey, this is not such a horrible thing. We're going to use the good-looking people to do that, and Daniel and his friends were, of course, among them to do that. And so uh, that's who that's who they were looking for. And so, um, and, and again, think about it politically. This is this is another power struggle that that is happening, and it's a wise thing to do. So the verse continues on that Ashpenaz he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, there's a few problems with this for Daniel and for so many of his Jewish brothers that are there. The wine and the food from the king's table was offered to uh, to idols. They used it in sacrifice to and in, in, in idol worship. And so, the food being brought to them that would have just been a no-no for the Jewish people. That would have gone against their cultural views. That would have gone against everything that they that their their diet. That would have that would have been no-no for them. And so, on top of that, th- th- it's being served to idols before it's being served to them. And so. This violated them in many different ways. The verse continues on. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah. Daniel, you know his Jewish name, but some of these guys, you don't know their names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And now these guys are being confronted with choices. Choices that culture is thrusting on them. The culture of this new homeland. They come from a place that it's common to serve God. It's common to live a life underneath the law. It is common to pursue holiness. It's common where they're from to do that. And now they're being forced into a culture where, hey, we live, we where nobody observes the laws of God. And culture is pressuring them to give in and live how they do, right? And all across the world, I would say that people are experiencing the same kinds of pressures as these boys from Judah, you, me, all of us, the question that we have to settle in our hearts is when culture shifts, will we shift with it? When culture is pressuring you to live a life contrary to the word of God, will, will we live that way? Will we give in? Because we have two choices. Either we'll turn to God and ask him to compromise and fit the mold of, of the lifestyle we want to live, the life that culture is telling us that we should be living, and to fit our new worldview, or we'll realize that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that He's not going to do that, even if we ask Him to, even if we force Him to, even if we preach that He will, He's not going to do that. And so what we must do is take a stand and say, I'm not going to shift with culture. I'm going to change and align myself to the principles of God. Right? And so whether you realize it or not, culture is shifting. It happens slowly and so slow that I don't think we even realize it uh, because if it did, I think we'd, we'd take notice of it, like immediately, right? It's like the, the thing about a frog. They say that the way to boil a frog is to put the frog in the water and slowly turn the heat up on the frog. Because if you threw a frog into a hot boiling pot of water, it's going to jump out, right? But if you put it in there and slowly turn the heat up, if you slowly change it, that frog will it'll allow itself to be cooked. Slowly change the heat. And that's what culture does for us. You know, I'm 35, well, at least for a few more weeks. And, uh, and I remember on TV, I mean, think about how far culture has come. I remember on TV that you used to watch married couples, and they used to sleep in different beds, right? Nowadays, not only are they sleeping in the same beds, but on primetime TV, we get to see what they're doing in their beds. I, I, I don't mean on a triple X website. I mean, like, it's 8 o'clock, channel 10, and I get to see what they're doing. And their bedrooms. Culture has come so far; it has shifted dramatically in my 35 years on this earth. Now, around here, you need to know that we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His Word is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and which makes it all true, every part of it. In our hearts and our theology, we are old school because God is old school. Right. We may not look old school as a church. You know, you look at the, the pretty designs and our rock and roll driven worship. And you may have heard a song during the meet and greet. And you're like, man, I recognize that song. You, we, you may have hear all that and you may say, well, that's not that's not old school. And that's OK. We're around here. We believe we'll do anything short of sin to reach God's lost kids. You know what I'm saying? We'll do whatever it takes. We'll We'll have church in a warehouse because people don't want to go to a church where there's a steeple and a cross on the top. That's fine. We'll do whatever it takes to win people to Jesus. We may not look old school, but we are in our hearts. This church will stand on the unchanging truths of God's word. We need to be careful because there's a movement out there that 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 holds up the Bible and says, well, God didn't mean that. That's not what he meant when he said that. What he really meant was this, or he didn't understand America when he wrote the Bible, right? He didn't understand how we were going to be. That was for a different culture, a different time. That, that's not for us. So we try to translate it differently and say, well, that's not what that meant. See, it really meant this. And we try to get it to shift to fit how we want to believe and how we want to live, right? And the Bible was written thousands of years ago to, to many different cultures, but it was also written to us. Nothing has changed about the principles that are written there. The next thing you know, we're all making all kinds of compromises by bending God's word to fit what we want. And soon we find ourselves going there or saying this or watching that or clicking that. And I'm not here to to make the assertion that, that, um, that maybe this is our problem. That we as God's people are slip sliding and shifting with the culture around us. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's us. Now on the heels of that, let me say this, simple church is not a place that will ever wave its finger at a lifestyle or at a choice. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an angry preacher. I'm not going to stand up here and condemn perspectives or decisions. That's, that's not my job. The, the habits or the different things that people do, that, that's not my job. I believe that we're all on a journey, that there's not a perfect person in this room, not a single perfect person in this room, especially not the pastor. You can ask my wife. You can ask her. <laughs> because if, if it took being perfect to be in the body of Christ, none of us would be in it. None of us would be in it. And so around here, we know that we're all on a journey, so we condemn no one. And I have no interest in taking a stand that will drive people away from this church. Look, Jesus, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was walking around with prostitutes and tax collectors and all those that should have been rejected or were rejected, not should have been, were rejected by the culture of that day. I would not want to take a stand that pushes a single person away from this place because people need to come here and experience the acceptance that Jesus would have offered and have an opportunity to learn about the love that he gives. Period. Period. So I'm not going to limit the scope of who we can reach by blasting certain things in our culture. That's not my job. Some religious people want me to use the stage to do that. They want me to stand up here and they want me to wag my finger. They want me to to pick it or they want me to put signs up and on that. That's not what Jesus would be busy about doing. I don't believe it. I'd rather show them the beauty of God's love displayed in the gift of Christ on a cross. And my job is to lead you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and to help you or help lead you into a life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because what He will do is speak to your heart. What He will do is tell you, hey, maybe there's a line here that you need to not cross. And if I can teach you to listen to that voice, then He will bring change into your life. He brings conviction. He brings that gift, the goodness of repentance is given by Him. He leads us there. It doesn't have to come from me. I want to teach you to listen to Him. He will work on you. He'll change your perspectives. I'm not here as the moral police. Now, I will tell you this. I did grow up in a conservative church. If you were to look into my background, you'd know I grew up in a conservative church. Sunday morning, we dressed we dressed our best on Sunday mornings, man. We got up and look, if you wore denim to church, Jesus couldn't even recognize you. for whatever reason, it was like his, it was like his kryptonite, right? It's like, what is this denim? Like, can't talk to you, right? <laughs> it, 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 was, it was crazy. We went to church three times a week, and if anything in our schedules conflicted, like if there was a ball game or something else and it was on a night of church, man. That thing lost out. We went to church. We went to church. We, nope, this is what we do. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This is what we do. Nothing else gets scheduled those nights. And if we aren't going to church, we, by God, we aren't leaving the house because somebody would see us out and say, Why aren't you at church? <laughs> Outside of the church and, and inside of the church, women wore skirts and long sleeves and no makeup. And the guys couldn't wear shorts and no facial fur was allowed at all. Guys weren't allowed to wear makeup either. We, we if if, they, if we went swimming, the girls wore culottes. You know what culottes are? Like them long things and long sleeve shirts. That's what they went swimming in. If the girls went swimming with the boys at all, when I grew up, right? When I where I grew up, man, you weren't supposed to have a TV in your house. You weren't supposed to go to the bowling alley, and you weren't supposed to go to the to the movie house because if you went to the movie house, man, nothing bad or nothing good goes on there, right? We didn't do those things. My grandmother took me once and she regretted every minute of it. She said, I can't believe I've stayed out of the movie house for years and I took you kids to the movies. And daggone it, we watched Roger Rabbit and there was a girl that was not bad. She was just drawn that way. And she regretted that, that time that she took us to the movie house. I can't believe I let my standards down. This is how I grew up. I grew up in a conservative thing, and there was no dancing. Dancing was not allowed, right? You weren't allowed to spell your name with your booty at all. Is this awkward for you? Because it's awkward for me. And we didn't believe in premarital sex because premarital sex might lead to dancing. So... We just didn't do that kind of stuff. (laughs) We... We, we were conservative. Get it together, people. Get it together. But I, I would say from my short perspective of 35 years, I can see how far culture has shifted. Amen? It has shifted. And we need to wake up to the world we are living in and what is happening. There are three things that culture will try to do to us when it shifts. Let's go back to the verses. We're going to be in Daniel, again, 1-7. It says, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, oh, we know that name. To Michelle, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, most of you guys know them by their Babylonian names, and if you were, were, um, Tale fans, you know them as Rakshak and Benny, right? So if you ever watched that. All right, so they made a connection with some people. Oh, I didn't know that was their full names. <clears throat> but when culture shifts, the first thing that it will try to do is to rename you. Because look what's happened. As soon as they get to Babylon, they get. New names. Now, it's an attack against who you are and the call that God has placed on your life and his plan for you to assign a new name or a new label to you other than what he said. And the world wants to put labels on everything. Some of you in here struggle with the label that the world has put on you and been assigned to you in life. Someone has told you you'll never be able to do this, you'll never do that, you're never going to be free from that, or you'll always suffer from this, or you'll never be able to change. It's a label that they've given you, and it's an attack. It's an absolute attack on your life. And this attacks, this attack is why here at Simple Church, uh, I believe in our grow groups. Look, on Sunday mornings, it is, it's very difficult to deal with the very personal things in your life, like, like labels, right? But you get into one of these grow groups, which will be starting here about mid-February. Watch for them. The catalogs will be available soon. These are, these are the studies and the, and the gatherings that we do in our homes. And I encourage you to be a part of them. But in, in those grow groups, we talk about the labels. We talk about the personal attacks that are on your life and how to begin to deal with them. And so uh, you have that opportunity. It's a safe place, and we can peel off those labels that are affecting our perspectives and our lives because we have to break the power of those things in our lives. Amen? So now take a look at these name changes. I want to talk to you first about uh, this is a little study in the, in the names and what they meant because everything, every name back then meant something. Nowadays we kind of, well, I just like that it sounds good, and I want one of those names with a comma to the top in it, you know, or I want, I want something like, you know, fa- I want something fancy for my kid. And, but names then meant something. To them, And so uh, Daniel's name meant, God is my judge. In other words, I answer to him alone. He is my king. He is my Lord. He has my life in his hands. That meant everything. That meant everything. And so his name change meant, Lady, protect the king. In changing Daniel's name, they said, you're not a man, you're a woman. And you don't report to God, you report to a man. They changed his name. They shifted his culture. They took God's place in his life and said, we will determine your identity and what you do. This shift is a focus from on God to an obsession with people. Forget about what God says. Forget about who he's called you. Forget about the label he's given you. You need to do what we tell you to do. You need to be concerned about what everybody else thinks of you. You need to serve people and let us determine your identity. And you have to watch out because this confusion will leak into every area of your life. Look at Hananiah. Hananiah's name meant Yahweh has been gracious. And and what an amazing God we serve, right? It's our provider. Yahweh has been gracious. By His grace alone we stand here today. By His grace alone we are justified. God has been gracious is what that name means. They changed His name to Shadrach, which meant I am fearful of God. It's the shift from God is good... To God is bad. It's, it's, culture does this really well, right? They get people to believe that, that God is this guy with a, with a magnifying glass and we are ants and he is putting it into the sun. He's waiting to burn us up or to smash us the moment we do something wrong, right? They project this image that God is bad, that he has tricked you and wants to keep you from the good life. He wants to keep you from having any fun. That's why you don't go to church because God's tricked you. He's, he's lied to you. You don't follow His laws because they're restrictive. How dare He tell you where you can go, who you can spend time with, and what you can do with your body. They tell you that if you're going to be a Christian, you don't get to have any fun, that you don't get to have good relationships, that you have all these laws to follow so it won't be enjoyable and God is trying to destroy you. That's the label they want to put on us. They want to change that in our life. But God, instead of God being gracious... Meaning he gives us what we don't deserve, right? That's what grace is. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. That no matter how many times I mess up, that his grace is sufficient for me. When I am weak, his grace is sufficient for me. He will rescue me from whatever situation I get myself in because of his grace. His grace. His laws will benefit my life if I live the way that he's called me to because of his grace. And the shift that we see here is a shift from God is good to God is bad. Michelle, Michelle's name meant there is no one else besides our God. There is no one else. His name, Meshach, meant I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. And the world wants you to think that you'll never amount to anything, that you'll never accomplish anything, that you can never have that, or you can never be this, or you should always be live in in shame because of your past, or who you are, or what somebody has done to you. They tell you, don't pick your head up. the shift that it makes is from confidence to cowardice we don't have confidence in god you should be ashamed of yourself you're a bigot because you don't accept or you don't embrace love because you don't embrace all these other lifestyles because you can't stand for that they tell you you can't stand for that they tell you that the church needs to be quiet They'd say separation of church and state, but let me tell you something. That phrase when it was created was to keep the church or to keep the government out of the church, not to keep the church out of the government. And I don't want to be a part of a church that looks at the world and wags its finger. I think we need to stop taking a stand and start making a difference. That's my perspective. Nothing wrong with standing on God's principles because that's what we're going to do here. But we don't have to pick it or point our fingers at anything. We need to humble ourselves and follow after God with all that is in us. And that will make a difference. That's how we live the life of shiny, right? Azariah's name meant Yahweh has helped me. This is an endearing term. This is a, 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 a thought that I can rely on him in difficult moments changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. The shift is that if you want to follow God, you can't be a son. You have to be a slave. You don't serve God. You, are his, you aren't a son of his or a child of his. You are his servant. You're going to work and you're going to perform. You're going to jump through hoops if God is going to love you, and you'll never really get close because God is just this ominous cloud in the sky. He's non-relational. And as culture shifts and tries to rename you, you better know who you are. Because we need to have our identity, our identity founded in Christ. The book of Daniel continues on. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, the ones that had been offered to the idols. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Look, there's a lot we can learn from Daniel's example here because culture is pushing him on every side. And Daniel doesn't take a stand. He doesn't go out and pick it. He doesn't yell at everybody and say, what you're doing is wrong. He humbles himself. He first resolves in his heart, I'm not going to do this. That's a come hell or high water. I'm not going to do this. And then the next thing he does, he submits himself to the authority. He goes to his boss and says, hey, I understand you're in charge here, and I have decided in my heart that this is not something that I'm going to be a participant in. Is there any way you can help me accomplish that? But There's a difference there. There's a difference there. You don't have to, as a Christian, you don't have to follow after Christ and then walk around and push all your values on everyone else. What you need to do is humble yourself and follow them. Follow them yourself. Don't worry about them. You do it yourself because what will happen is your life will be the example to them. Stop saying things and just live it. Your life will shine brighter than your words ever will. And Daniel resolved in his heart, I'm not going to make this mistake. But he was not rude or condescending to anybody else about their life choices. He was just resolved himself. And then he goes to his authority, asks him to help him. Help me. He said, here's my values. This violates it. Can I do something else? And everyone doesn't have to do it, but as for me, I would like to not do that. Can you respect it? That's what he asked Ash Penez. And this is how we're going to be those lights in the world. Not by standing on a soapbox, by quietly living our lives before God. You do it first. Others will follow. Others will follow. Draw the lines for you, not for everyone else. So when culture shifts, it will try to tame you. One of the steps in the process is is that sin will have gradual steps that take place in our lives. It lures us into the things that we know are wrong. It is little compromises, the small things that we give up that will get us into deep trouble along the way. It has to be slow because we resist it. Otherwise, it starts out with little things like, well, I like this genre of music, and so I'll just listen to anything in that genre, right? We kind of accept the whole thing. Or, well, it only has a few F words in it, or it only belittles women a little bit so I'll listen to that, or, or well, they only did this once in that show, or there was only one naked butt in this movie, and it's okay because there was only only one. We make these small compromises, and as I said before, I'm not here to draw your lines. I want to let the Holy Spirit do that for you because the line is different for everybody. But know that we do make small compromises along the way that end us up in deeper situations. For example, my wife and I, we we like to, at the end of the day, just like all of you, we like to sit down and we like to watch a show together. We pick out shows and we start watching a series and we always get involved in a great series, you know? And they don't start off horrible. They don't start off bad, right? We pick the ones that are the the, pick the ones that we figure are are okay that are tame for us or, or in line with what we believe and what's good for our hearts, but it always happens, doesn't it? Four or five episodes in, maybe even two or three seasons in. You get hooked on a show, you get hooked on the premise, you get hooked on a character, and all of a sudden the show takes a left turn. Well, that character finds itself in a situation, and you're just like, whoa, what happened here? Whoa, what? Whoa. My wife and I, we'll, we'll watch shows, and we've come to each other regularly and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to have to stop watching that show. You can watch it if you want to, but we're not going to sit down and watch this together anymore. And then a discussion happens. Why? We talk about it. Well, I feel like the Holy Spirit's drawing this line in my heart. We also do it with our kids. Well, There's music that come on the radio, and we, we listen to it, we hear it, we we understand what the words are, and we go, whoa, hey, we turn that off, and the kids go, yeah, but, Dad, it makes my butt jiggle. I like it. It's good. And we go, yeah, but you know what? It's going to hurt your heart. It's going to hurt your heart. I say, explain that to a kid. That will hurt your heart if we keep listening to that. And you don't just do it when the kids are around you. You change it when when you're by yourself. Right? Otherwise, you wind up singing it. You're <laughs> the kids. Dad, is your heart Okay. Well, I think so. I ate my Cheerios this morning. I'm not sure. No, no. You're singing that song. Oh, you're right. You're right. For years we've done that. And what shows and songs are they? None of your business. <laughs> I refuse to stand up here and tell you where my lines are drawn in my life. Because then you'll take them and you'll draw them in your own life. And then you've got rules and, and regulations. And I would never rob you. Of the beautiful relationship that you can have when you listen to the Holy Spirit yourself. I would never rob you of that. So I won't tell you what songs, what music, what I don't listen to and what I do. And let me tell you, culture will try to tame you. But it will do it slowly and when it tries to tame you, don't lose your convictions. Don't lose your convictions. The world is changing and, and are we going to change with it? Asking God to fit its mold? Or are we going to resolve in our hearts that we're going to stick with the principles that God has never changed and say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Daniel continues on, verse 9. says, now God had caused the official, this is Ashpenaz, after he asked him, hey, I don't want to play in that, to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Now look what just happened. He assumes, because Daniel's not going to play ball the way that they're playing ball, that he is going to be worse off. See, isn't that what the world does? Look at you. Well, you won't go to the bar with me, or you won't go do this with me, or you won't watch that with me. How in the world are you possibly enjoying life? Well, isn't it that the, the world does with us? They just assume that we are not living life to the fullest because we're not doing what they're doing. The verse continues on. The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. I just want to pause for a second. There's something called numerology in the Bible. It's a study of numbers and what they mean, right? And the number 10 always represents a test, always represents a test. And he said, I want you to test us for 10 days. Look, if you don't believe me, look at the number 10, 10 commandments. It's a test. It's a test of our hearts. It's a test of us. Tithing. Tithing is a 10% of your income. It's a test. The disciples were told to stay in the upper room for 10 days to wait on the Holy Spirit to be given. 10. It's a test, and we all face tests in our lives. The verse continues on it says, Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. This is called a Daniel fast. If If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that every year about January, People do a Daniel fast. And I was going to do this in the announcement, and I decided to do it right now. We're going to do one. So I want to invite you to join us. It's a 10-day fast. Just putting the message on pause for a second. I'm inviting you to join us. And a 10-day fast is, is fruits and vegetables and water and fruit juice. That means no coffee. No coffee. I don't know how you'll survive. For me personally, you can start tomorrow if you want to. I know that's some short notice for you guys. But as a church, we're inviting you to get on board and to try this. But I'm going to start on the 8th myself. And I'm going to fast for those 10 days up until from the the 8th through the 17th. And then on the 18th, I'm going to eat meat again when we launch two services. Amen. It'll be a good day. But I want to invite you to, as a church, that we can pray and we can fast together. If you've never done fast before, fast is giving up something you love for something you love more. It's a spiritual discipline that I encourage you to take part in and to pray Pray for the 18th. Pray that, that when we send out our invitations to the community that people will respond to it and show up that day. Otherwise, you know, it'll be two services and it'll just be half of us here, you know. We'll, but we'll believe that our grand reopening will be uh, a, a great day for us here at Simple Church. Amen. So I encourage you to join us. But so, So Daniel says, he says, let me just eat nothing but vegetables. Uh, to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Again, look look at the verbiage here. He says he wanted him to make a decision based on what he sees, not on what he heard. Amen. That's what I've been saying this whole time. Stop talking about it. Stop talking to people about what they're doing and saying you ought not be doing. Just just you go live your life and let them see. Let them see. <coughs> He wanted them to see the difference in him, not hear him preach a sermon on what was better. He wanted him to see that God's way was better, to see the difference between us and the world, not hear about it. And we all have these defining moments in our life where the world is going to get up on our face and pressure us to give up our convictions, to give up our faith in who we are in Christ. It's going to happen. It's easy to make the decision to follow Christ, but a true lifestyle of following Christ is full of challenges and difficulty. Jesus told us, hey, fear not, you're going to have some troubles in this world. But guess what? I've overcome this world. Scriptures also tell us that we are more than an overcomer. Do you know why we're more than an overcomer? Because not only will we overcome this world, but we will change it when we do. We will not change the world by wagging our fingers. We will change it by what we overcome personally. And it doesn't mean that it will all be easy. The world will tell you that you need to drink this, or you can't say that, or you need to go there, but we have a decision to make. And when culture shifts, it will try to claim you. And we're going to live with this tension our entire lives of God leading us one way and culture leading us the other way. And every day you'll need to make a decision, which voice will I follow? Whether in the workplace, your neighborhood, your home, or in your school. Listen, young people, I know you think I don't know what you're going through, but I was young once too. I went to school too. And when I was in high school, I wasn't perfect. I was not perfect at all. I was following Jesus as best I could. As best I could. And one, one day I wound, up, uh, I, w- I wound up at a party. I gave in to pressure. I wound up at a party that I knew I'd not be at. And they handed me a beer. And I knew I shouldn't have had the beer in my hands. And I cracked open the beer and I took a sip of that Coors Light. And it was horrible. <laughs> and I said, well, for moral reasons and for taste reasons, I'm not drinking any more of that. And, but I held on to it. I said, you know, I was seeking acceptance. I was seeking to be a part of what they were a part of because they told me that was the cool thing to do. They were partying, they were drinking, they were getting high, and I went along with them to see what the hubbub was all about. And as they got drunker and the night went on, they kept bringing me beers and I'd say, thank you very much. And I'd quietly walk it back to the refrigerator and put it back and I just held on to my can all night long. I was accepted because I had my beer. You say, Aaron, are you down on beer? No, I'm not. I'm just saying, I knew I ought not been doing that. I knew in my heart it was a place that I shouldn't have been. But I was seeking for acceptance. And I held that beer all night long so that my friends would love me and, and they give me more beers and I thanked them for them and then put them back. But the next day my heart was heavy. I was convicted in my heart. Not because somebody waved their finger at me, because I listened to the Holy Spirit. And I repented, I said, I'm not going back, I'm not gonna do that. Why? Because there was a line being drawn in my heart. And I didn't go back. And let me tell you something, I lost every single one of my friends. My culture was shifting around me. We were growing up and they all wanted to go party. They wound up drinking. They wound up getting high. They wound up breaking into people's houses and stealing things and selling them so they could get more money for beer. They wound up doing all kinds of crazy stuff that I saw. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of that. And I lost every single one of my friends in the high school. But God is faithful. And they gave me a whole new group of wonderful friends. But in the end... I lost much, and culture was pressuring me. And it does the same thing to us. No matter where we're at, no matter how old we are, there's pressures all around us to give in. Now, I've not lived a perfect life since then. I wasn't perfect then. But I'm following Jesus as best I can, and I'm saying yes to him every day. And so you're going to have to decide what it is you believe and where your lines are, because if you don't know, the world is going to drag you anywhere that it goes. And when culture shifts, never give in to pressure. The world is going to drag you wherever it wants. You should not live by pressure, but live by principle. Live by principle. We'll close with this in Daniel, verse 15. It says, at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in this whole kingdom. Look, I have to tell you, when we follow after God, when we obey the Holy Spirit, when he, when he draws lines in our lives, if we hold on to our convictions, if we live by principle and not pressure, if we find our identities in Christ, we will have lives that are ten times better than anything the world has to offer. Lives that we live that are counter-cultural. Aware the blessing of God is. Because it is countercultural to follow after Him. It is countercultural to not do what everybody else is doing. It is hard. But culture has nothing to offer us but counterfeit and don't buy into the lies of the world. Look at the world, they aren't happy. What they're doing isn't working. And we don't get to look like everyone else. We don't get to talk like everyone else. We don't get to go where they go. We don't need to do that. Because what we have is ten times better than what they have. So we have these questions that need to be resolved. Will I change the world? Or will the world change me? Second question is, will my identity come from God or from the world? And last, will I live by principle or by pressure. You have a choice today. If you've got your connection cards, I'd invite you to take out your connection cards. I want you to flip it over on the back. I want you to, to answer this question for yourself. Culture has, tried to la- culture has tried to label me what? But in Christ, I'm a new creature. What is it that culture has tried to label you of that you need to be free from today? Or maybe it's culture has laid claim to what in my life? But in Christ I am free. Write it down on the back of that card. Culture has tamed my what? But Christ has given me victory. What is it in your life that culture has tried to claim, has tried to tame, or tried to label that is contrary to what God says about you? And write it down. We'll pray over those this week with you. Or maybe maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Aaron? I need to give my heart to Christ for the first time or... Maybe the hundredth time, I'm not sure. But either way, we're going to pray. And I would I would encourage you to fill out those cards. Something happens when you write something down. It creates a shift in your heart and your mind and your life. Write it down on that connection card. Drop it in the offering bucket. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I pray right now for every heart that's underneath the sound of my voice. I pray, God, that when culture shifts, when the pressure is put on, Lord, that we would hold on to our principles and not give in to that pressure. I pray, God, that we would be a people who would live by your principles, would follow hard after you. Lord, that the labels that this world tries to put upon us, Lord, that we can reject them and say, no, I know who I am in Christ. Father, help us today. If you are here today and you have never said yes to Jesus, and that's a decision that You're ready to make. The world has been pressuring me. My life has been spinning out of control. What they've been offering is unsatisfying. And Jesus is the way. If that's you, and you'd like to give your heart and life to Christ, would you shoot your hand in the air? Nobody's looking around. I'm going to count to three. Just shoot it up. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air. It's awesome. Thank you thank you look we're going to pray and I would just I would just encourage you there at your seat just to pray in your heart and mean it this simple prayer God help me I need you forgive me of my sins show me how to live my life for you and I'll spend every day doing just that amen that's how simple that prayer is That's how simple that prayer is today. Look, if you gave your heart and your life to Christ for the first time today or the hundredth time, I would love to shake your hand and meet you after service today. I'd love to hug your neck and tell you you just made the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. And today, if you are struggling with culture, if you are struggling with pressure and you need prayer after service, you can come grab me and I'd be happy to.